Listen up, everybody. This will only take a second. I just want to tell you all about the cool app that I use to record both of my podcasts called Spotify for Podcasters. You, too, can download it, start your own podcast, maybe make video podcasts. Or if you want to make a little coin, baby, with your podcast, you can do so using Spotify for Podcasters. So download the app today. What is going on, everybody? We have our own playlist now up on Spotify that we have put together of just a handful of several different songs that we like to listen to throughout the day that just kind of help us get through the day. So go check out the playlist. See what you think. Let us know some songs that you would like to hear on the playlist, and we'll see if we can get them in there. But we're going to be changing the playlist up throughout time, uh, so it's not always going to be the same songs. But come check it out. Ten Roof Playlist over on Spotify. All right, guys. Welcome to the Ten Roof Podcast. We are uh, actually not alone today. We have a guest with us, and his name is Ed. He's not even... uh, from the united states he's actually from across the pond as people like to say so ed why don't you go ahead and tell us let's start with your last name because i'm not sure how to pronounce that that's fine hi i'm ed jowett uh i am a creator of various things um music is actually included in that although uh i'm more responsible for its creation than actually the creator of it per se um, and I write comics, I write tabletop role-playing games, I've created a few card games, I even, uh, last year I even shot and, uh, and released a, a short movie uh, based in a superhero universe. Um, so uh, audio dramas, I, I love telling stories, and, and I think that with any medium you can tell amazing stories, and that can be music as well, just as much. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's some great stories out there told through music. Uh, and well, you know, writing, writing in itself is just so key because you got to write the song first. You got to write the comic book in a script form before it ever even gets made into an actual comic. And uh, you sent me some of your stuff this week. And I, I got to tell you, uh, it's it's fantastic. Um, do you do the artwork, too? Like, uh, I'm probably going to be all over the place with this podcast. I might not be very linear. <laughs> don't worry about that. I'm very good at not linear. Don't worry about it. Um, I don't do the artwork. I'm, I'm unfortunately not talented in that direction. But, um, well, I'm somewhat talented in that direction. I do a lot of art direction. So um, I, I like to give an artist freedom. Um, so I'll write some stuff about what's going on in the scene and then if the angle doesn't quite work for what I think is going on in the scene or, or if, if something needs a bit of a shift or uh, especially I'm actually an expert in lighting um, so quite often I pick up some artists on uh, there's, there's no light source here, what's going on this shouldn't be lit, this should be in shadow the light's actually coming in from here it's clear from elsewhere and the uh, uh, the guy I worked on on this comic with, um, absolutely wonderful, because he was really thinking about the lighting. And in my experience, lighting is what makes artwork more than anything. And he was really thinking about the lighting. And, and, and we talked a lot about pages towards the end of the comic, which you haven't even seen yet, um, which really involve a lot of well, what color should the lighting be here? What kind of feel do you want? Do you want it to have that warm feeling of um, uh, 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 torchlight, I guess, like burning torchlight? 
or do you want it to have natural light in the roof and so on? And I was talking about, right, well, in the world, you probably wouldn't have an open... We probably ought to talk a bit more about the world before I go deep into this. But, um, yeah, Victor Uchoa, who I worked with on this comic, um, really fun to work with, um, really gets the lighting thing and how important it is. And then I I wrote it myself. Um, uh, a, an old friend of mine a long, long time ago now, six, seven years ago, suggested a comic that involved three similar characters, but he had them uh, on motorbikes and, and, and so on. And really that never took off. It never got off the ground. It never worked. So what I did is I thought to myself a couple of years back, oh, I know, um, as an homage to what he wanted to do but never really worked out, maybe I can write something that's a bit of fun, encapsulates my world of era survival, which is actually a tabletop role-playing game. Um, but as I say, I, I love telling stories and, and I often build a world through a tabletop role-playing game that then I tell other stories in, such as this comic. Um, this, uh, you know, I, I wanted to do something that featured some of those characters because they were fun ideas and we came up with them together. So yeah, that's, that's where I ended up and that's how I ended up doing what I'm doing. I'm, I'm really, really impressed because like, Lighting, like you said, is such a huge part of telling a story in a comic book because it, the lighting has to make sense. Um, and I'm I'm very much in the same boat as you with my drawing. <laughs> uh, if I drew the comic, it would be in stick figures. But like in my head, I, the way I do it is like I see it, like how it would unfold and what's panning out and everything else. And then I'm like, okay, so it needs to look like this, this, and this. But then I also, like you said, give the artist freedom because it's very yeah, much you, their media as much as mine. You. Do what now? I'm sorry. You want to have that balance, don't you? You want to have that that ability for the artist to express themselves while still telling the story in the way you envisioned. And the way I find that often manifests is um, I'll have some panels where I know exactly what it looks like and I'll be really insistent on every detail. And then the vast majority, I'll let them do their thing their way. Right. And uh, you brought up, so you've made multiple role-playing games then, correct? I've made 14 tabletop role-playing games to date. Oh, man. And you, you actually have one on Kickstarter right now, don't you? I do. Um, it's called Era Kaiju. And uh, you play as a kaiju. Um, you are one of these giant creatures who just woke up one day. Um, humanity seems to be wandering around, and, and they may or may not like you. But, um, you know, you, you, you found a way to coexist with them, and you actually play, rather than playing as a Godzilla type of kaiju, you play as something a little smaller, a little more vulnerable to human weaponry and so on. So you sort of have to make nice with the humans a little bit, or they'll blast you with, with missiles and stuff. Uh, and you'll gradually have your health whittled down and, and die if they keep doing that all the time. So you work as a team, you share the, the confidence that humanity has in you that you're not a rampaging monster. It was very much inspired by not, not just the Godzilla movies, but also that 90s animated series they did, which was really, um, really good for that sort of thing. You know, Godzilla was this savior who would turn up and deal with all the all the kaiju for people, right? Right. <clears throat> and it was and that... sort of very much inspired by that. So um, I wanted to bring that to life on people's tabletops. And that's, that's fantastic. I got a couple of questions further about it but i want to make sure that people know the name of it and so like if you say something three times that 
that really mm-hmm. gets it committed to memory. So one more time for what's the name? Ira Kaiju. Ira Kaiju. I thought that that's what you had said, but then I was like, oh no, if I mess it up, I'm going to sound like a fool. <laughs> yeah, um, all of my games uh, uh, run on the Era D10 rule set. So they all begin with the, the word Era, colon, and then it'll be the name of the game. So for example, Era Survival, uh, Era the Consortium, Era Lost Legend, and, and now Era Kaiju. Okay, so it's a D10 system, because that's what I was going to ask, because like... Uh one of the games that I pay a lot of attention to is uh, obviously Dungeons and Dragons, but outside of that is Candela Obscura and Candela Obscura is run on like a D six system. So you could roll anywhere from like one to, I think three D sixes. I don't think they do four very often. I think it's usually one to three and uh, like one to two is a fail. Three and four is a mixed success and five and six is a success. And uh, so how does the D10 system work? Because I've never played with it. Right. So um, for anyone who's listening, who's familiar with the storyteller system, it's somewhat similar with some tweaks to make it not quite so silly in places. Um, I, I adore the system, but anyone who's ever played it knows that, that there are some dodgy bits to it. So the I'm sorry, I think my computer just did something funny. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, I was like, yeah. it kind of cut out for a second. I was like, oh no, what happened? <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Sorry, my computer just plays silly buggers. It's getting a bit old now. Um, so uh, you you have attributes and you have skills. And most actions that you want to take are an attribute and a skill combined. Each one has a level from, uh, in, in Era D10's case, uh, attributes can only be one. They can't be zero and go up to eight but it's quite hard to get a, get something up to eight. Um, and skills can be at zero to eight. So what you'll do is you'll say, okay, well, I'm going to roll my strength and brawl to punch someone. Um, and that would mean that you pick up four strength and three brawl dice, you'd roll seven dice. There's then a threshold that's based on the difficulty of your action. So let's say it's seven for the sake of argument. That's sort of the standard I use as seven. And then if it's harder, it's higher. And if it's easier, it's lower. And then when you've rolled your dice, you've rolled your seven dice. Let's say you roll, uh, I don't know, three, four, five, six. Hang on. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Well, you had to get seven or better. You've got seven, eight, nine. That's three successes. So you've got three successes. And that defines how well your attempt went. That's pretty cool. It's a lot harder to explain than it actually is to operate which is one of the funny things about the system. It's very, very easy to do when, you, when you're actually doing it. And I've sat down with a lot of people who've either never played role-playing games before or have never played a multiple dice pool system before, and, and they have it within minutes. It's, it's really not hard at all. Uh, one of the things... So there, there are several things that I like about it. I'm, I'm a bit skeptical of the way in which D&D and other single-dice systems work, and, and that includes, to some degree, fixed-dice systems... Uh, like like the one you just described. Um, the the thing is that uh, it's less true with multiple dice, but you with D&D, you have a flat line. So you are as likely to do a really good hit as you are to drop your sword on your foot, no matter how good you are at fighting. You have the same chance of doing a natural one and a natural 20, right? Yeah, right. That's a problem because it doesn't really mirror reality. As you get better at something, you're much less likely to fail at it hilariously so in era d10 with multiple dice that that build up as you 
um, as you get better at the thing, you actually have a normal distribution, a bell curve. And that means that the, the height of the bell curve, the most likely result, as you have more dice, moves upwards in the number of successes you would get on average. That models reality much, much better because it means if you're very good at something, you're very unlikely to fumble it. Um, and, and, and in order to fumble, you have to get more ones than you get successes. So you, uh, one of the things the storyteller system does that I don't do is ones don't take away successes for anyone who sat there thinking about that. So you, you, you have this situation where you're rolling multiple dice, you, you see immediately when you roll, oh, there are lots of ones there. Oh, there are lots of sevens or eights or nines there. Oh, this is going to be good. This is going to be bad. You immediately know. Whereas in Dungeons and Dragons, I always feel like you roll it and then you have to look at the GM to find out whether it was a good roll or a bad roll. Right. I like that immediacy that you get from, oh, wow. And also, who, who doesn't love rolling a huge bucket of dice? And that's what I was sitting here thinking. I was like, man, you would definitely have to have a shaker cup for that because like, <laughs> I can't fit nine dice in my hand. Uh, like, I don't know. I've, <laughs> I've got used to rolling 30 plus dice in my hands. I can do it. So it's just a question of practice. <laughs> that's impressive. I'm, I'm amazed. <laughs> so, okay. Era of Kaiju. Now, how many more days left is there on Kickstarter? It launched less than 24 hours ago as of recording, but obviously this is coming out a little later. So it launched about a week ago relative to this podcast. Perfect. Um, so it'll have something like 15 days, about two weeks left. Two weeks left? Okay, so where are you at? Obviously, this will be muddled, like you said, but where are you at right now? Right now, we are two and one-third times funded. So we're at nearly £700. No, wait. Yes, that is right. Uh, we're, ne- we're at nearly seven hundred pounds out of three hundred pounds, so we are well overfunded. Um, it's it's been an explosion. It's so nice to see, and now I'm starting to have to think that sit down and think about stretch goals and what extras I can give people. Um, I I do have an inkling actually. I I really want to do uh, an expanded bestiary because I'd really like to show some more enemies i'd like to get some more artwork done i'd like to show some more enemies that you can run into um because i really enjoyed doing the artwork for this book so irakaiju what i did is i tried to get the effect of it looks like someone's inked the images directly onto the page for like the the incidental images in there like you know someone's done a pencil sketch in the book around That's amazing. The and whatnot because that's the that's the sort of feel I wanted to get. Um, I guess my inspiration for that is sort of like um, Sanctuary had that journal uh, that her dad had done that, uh, uh, that that had all these sketches of all the different um, what do they call them abnormals in that series. Yeah, I sort of wanted to do something a bit like that, and uh, yeah, it's sort of like oh my god, look at this giant phoenix thing! I'm going to draw that right here in this book. That's that's really cool because like having that th- that adds such an amazing element to something because then it's it's like the person's sketchbook yeah kind of like you're saying and yeah. that yeah. that just adds so much more to it it really immerses you in in the the moment and the wonder and fear that people must see seeing these kaiju suddenly appearing and rising and and, and wandering around 
I, I can only imagine. I, I mean, it's it must be absolutely terrifying. Right. I love the idea of an ex- expanded uh, bestiary. Would you ever consider, like, obviously, like you said, like a scaled-down Godzilla, but would you ever consider doing, like, other scaled-down PCs, like a Mothman, for example, or a King Kong, or anything like that? Absolutely. Um, all of those are completely doable within the system. And I should say that although it's not my intention that you play as an alpha, there are stats for alphas in there, and you could play as an alpha if you wanted to. Let's say you had a really small group and you wanted to do a, I don't know, a Godzilla and, and Mothra story, right? And and have, uh, I don't know, let's say you want to do the story of the movie King of Monsters, right? Okay. You want to have um, uh, King Ghidorah appear and you want to have Rodan be a pain in all, all of those random other kaiju that we have in that movie. Um, every single one of those can be done within this system. It's all there. It's all set. You just add a few more kaiju powers. They're a bit bigger. They're a bit tougher. You'd unfortunately probably lose a lot of the human element of it, which is one of the reasons that you're smaller. But you can do it. That's that's interesting. That's really cool. It, what if, like, somebody wanted to play as a human to a company to, like, maybe add to the story of it where, like, you said you got a small group or whatever, and you got a couple of kaijus, but you have somebody like on the ground doing a lot of interaction with the people. So if you want to do that, what I would suggest is probably that you integrate some of the other era D10 rule sets into, into this game. So there are some which are appropriate for that. Um, perhaps era liars or um, maybe era, the consortium or era survival, which are more or less the same on the interaction side. Um, so that you could build a character that exists in that same universe, uh, uh, very much like as you were saying, uh, as as I was saying a moment ago. I'm sorry about the uh, Godzilla TV, co- uh, the the animated series. Right, that's kind of what I was thinking of because wasn't there that girl that like helped Godzilla in that? Yeah, um, it was actually based on the on the '98 Godzilla movie that was the Hollywood one. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, um, uh, Matthew Broderick's character, who who was the main. Like he he was basically the Godzilla's mummy. <coughs> okay, that's right. So it's been a long time since I watched that version. Um, and uh, but yeah, there was an entire team of humans that were then directing Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. And so I've I've forgotten a lot of that movie. Uh, I do love kaiju movies. Uh, I don't get to watch them as much as I would like to. Um, Godzilla minus one is one I still haven't watched yet. I haven't either. You know, I I only really got into, like, I'd seen the 90s Godzilla movie and thought similar to what most people did, which was like, okay, well, that might have been a bit of fun, but it wasn't great. And then, obviously, the legendary Godzilla movie started coming out, and and I watched the first one, and it was really pretty good, and I quite enjoyed it. And the second one was, you know, the King of the Monsters was, was, was good. You know, that was very watchable. And then after that a friend of mine came over and we actually had a kaiju evening where we sat down and watched kaiju movies because it was like, right, the legendary ones are quite good. Here's some of the stuff that happens in some kaiju movies. And he showed us, oh, I can never remember the name of this movie. Um, it was it was around 2000 when it was made and it, it's aliens appear and and like use all the kaiju to attack humanity to try and subjugate them. And Godzilla's the only one that can save them. It's crazy is the only the only phrase i can use absolutely insane um 
but a lot of fun. And it made me that it was actually that movie night. And we watched that one and a couple of others as well. And it, it made me start thinking about the, the viability of Kaiju on the tabletop, because I, I don't think, I don't think many people have done a game like this where you can actually do that. That's, I, I don't think so either. Cause uh, I mean, from the different games that I played and I've done a little bit of exploring, uh, I don't, I don't really think that there's one out there that comes to mind. That I mean, like there are definitely that. ones that can do it. You know, GURPS famously can do almost anything if you want to. Uh, unfortunately, I I have thoughts about GURPS as well, as you might expect from a tabletop role-playing game designer. Unfortunately, I think it does everything kind of somewhere between moderately well and badly. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I decided to do instead was actually focus on while it has the same rules paradigm and and you as i mentioned earlier you could combine the rules it's 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 sort of each game has its own modular set of rules that really apply to that game and make that game feel right so um gurps just kind of says well here's a laser cannon and it's balanced with a stick and 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 you're sort of like well but that's not really how it works, is it? Because you've got a laser cannon, but you might have amazing armor. And then that would protect you from the laser cannon in a way that when you're a caveman fighting with a stick, you're probably maybe even as likely to kill someone as a laser cannon is to kill a person in a right. sci-fi setting, right? Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense why you would scale it differently than the way GURPS does, for sure. Yeah. Uh, we have spent a lot of time talking about <laughs> Eric Haiju. So, uh, you, you did allude already to that. We pre-recorded this a few days in advance. Um, but real quick, before we move on, I do want to, you know, say, Hey, if you love tabletop role-playing games, go, uh, you know, help fund, or well, fund further so we can get some of these cool stretch goals that we've talked about, uh, over on Kickstarter, Eric Haiju, definitely check it out. Uh, but today, the day that this episode drops, because this is a special episode, I guess I should have started that with my intro, but it is a special episode. We're dropping it, uh, on the 28th. You had just gotten an episode on Monday, but we're here to talk about a zombie comic. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. So I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. It's called Grace Under Pressure. And um, it it really came about because a friend of mine who I've been working, he actually taught me to write comics. So, you know, you you said you had a look at it and you enjoyed it. And and a big part of that kudos goes to him because, uh, you know, he taught me, he introduced me to writing comics. He taught me everything he knew about writing comics. And I've sort of then run off in my own direction. And um, I I really like a good story. And in, in the world of you know, zombie apocalypse. The The threat is never really the zombies because if you survived, and especially in the world of era survival, which is set a hundred years after the zombie apocalypse happened, if you survive this long and, and every character who features in the story was born after the zombie apocalypse. So if you survive this long, you, you, you know how to survive against the zombies. You can get unlucky, right? You can die, but for the most part, you know what to do. And um, 
I always thought that the the biggest threat in a zombie apocalypse is actually the people. It's it's people when there is no longer a civilization, a, a safety net, a thing that makes you act in a reasonable way. I think people are then potentially very dangerous. No, no that's perfectly fine. Uh, I said you're right because they they no have they no longer have structure. They no longer have you know that form. Like you said, it's a safety net. Right. And and that means that you can explore some quite interesting characters who never grew up with civilization. And this comic, um, it's basically got three sections to it. So I open with a quick introduction to the world. And, and you know, these are three experienced survivors who are sat there camping one night. And along come some, some zombies, some, some uh, infected, as we call them, in, uh, in Era Survival. I like that. And they, they fight them off because they have no choice. But what you might notice is that uh, as they leave, one of the characters, Chris, he's looking back. Whenever they leave somewhere, Chris is looking back over his shoulder. And this is a big part of who he is. Because he doesn't really want to move at the same rate as, as Grace and Jessica do. Um, so <clears throat> they defeat these these zombies and it gives you an idea of what fighting them is like. And I, I love the artwork that's happened there. It's really delivered that feel and that that really pulls you into the world, I think. So they I... head to a nearby town. Um, they are what are known as vault hunters in Era Survival. Um, vaults are continuity of government bunkers that existed before the the apocalypse and you know in theory what they do is they spend their time looking around to find vaults the reality is there aren't that many vaults so they pick up a lot of odd jobs i guess and in this particular comic they're bounty hunters or they're being bounty hunters so they head towards the city crossroads um it's a it's a it's a relatively big settlement and uh, you know big walls around it and the lot and um, they they head through a device that they've never seen before. Um, oh, it must just be a bluff, says Grace. At which point the metal detector goes off. They've never seen a metal detector before. They have no idea what it is. So she sort of was trying to conceal weapons, but you aren't allowed weapons inside for obvious reasons. So, um, uh, you know, she sheds some weapons. And we, we have that classic scene that you have in metal detector, metal detector comedy situations where you know she's going through it like five times and continually removing more weapons beep uh, beep beep oh, okay. <laughs> indeed um but eventually they get into crossroads and, and they split up and this is where we start to get a bit more insight into jessica so jessica um <clears throat> she's actually an ex-slave she uh she was freed by grace um, and they sort of stuck together. Not not that she had to, but but she chose to stay with with Grace. And um, the, like the the you know age old life debt kind of situation. I'm guessing. Yeah, not really though, because it's it's not really the life debt thing so much as she wants to stick around with Grace. I, I think that Jessica secretly wants to be as bad as Grace is. Well, not even that okay. secretly, but wants to be as as Grace is, and figures she can learn. So while, while Grace is having a, a chat with, uh, with a vendor, 
Um, actually, uh, one of Jessica's former owners turns up and, and sort of asks about, you know, where her current owner is and blah, blah, blah. Um, so Jessica just loses it, right? Completely loses it. Smacks him in the face, kicks him down to the ground. You know, she's not a slave anymore and she's not going to take this. She's not going to take it as if she was. Um... Grace steps in and stops the crowd intervening, but uh, really we get a little bit of insight into Jessica, which I, I love. I love these moments where you can show the characters, right? Mm -hmm. And then they they head off to go and find Chris, who who was doing his own thing. And <coughs> excuse me, um, Chris, he's been uh, flirting away with this uh, uh, this this fruit merchant Amber. He's a bit of a yes. ladies' man, is Chris? You see. Um, and, uh, he fixes her, he, he's a, a bit of a wizard electronics and you might've noticed that he's got a, a little white cross on uh, a lot of his equipment and anyone who knows the world already will, will already know, but I think it's revealed during the comic as well. Um, the white cross are a faction of individuals who believe that in order to survive the apocalypse, you have to keep every, as many people alive as you can, basically. Right. So Chris's job as a as a, as a traveling White Cross medic is to basically heal anyone who needs it, whoever they are. They could be the the scum of humanity, but his job is to heal them. We um in the role playing game we actually went into quite deep into a story about the oath that they take and the tattoo that's on their back. Um, that is actually the um. That there's there's sort of a cure for infection if you take it every day or you take a large dose immediately after you're bitten. So, um, and the white cross came up with this cure. So every white cross medic has it tattooed on their back. Um, it's a, it's a reminder of who they were. Now we don't actually get to see that in this comic, but as I say, anyone who knows the world of era survival will know it. So I'm, I'm hoping that this comic might encourage people to look more into the world. There's a lot of free, um, <clears throat> excuse me, information on our website that, that explains a lot about the world as well. So you can go okay. immerse yourself if you want to. <clears throat> That's awesome. So what's the website? Uh, www.shadesofvengeance.com And this would be slash era survival. Era dash survival, that is. Okay. So the name of the comic is Grace Under Pressure, right? That's correct. Okay, so we have Grace Under Pressure, ShadesOfVengeance.com, and you. so you role-played, like, did an RPG, this scenario out, and then you turned it into a comic book? Like, this um, is from your game table? This scenario is not from my game table, no. Actually, it's more of a... I, I, have, I had some characters on the front cover of the rulebook for okay. Survival, and I decided to make a story around them. That's um, cool. And th these are the three that are not lying flat on their back as if they're dead on on the cover of the rule book that's really cool uh so tell us a little bit more about this this world um like how how old are like grace chris and jessica because they were they're born after the fall of civilization correct that's correct yeah they're probably 20 to 35 somewhere in that region okay. Um, I think Grace might be the youngest of them. Um, Jessica, probably mid-20s. And I, I think Chris is a little bit older. Sort of early 30s, I would guess. 
Um, I've not been super specific about that, and and with good reason. I don't like to pin down exactly everything until I need to, because I might have a reason I want to change something. No, absolutely, and that's one of the cool things about the medium of storytelling to begin with. You're like you can you don't have to tell everything right out the gate. You can leave stuff for imagination, you know, for later on. That's why uh, I just started a D&D group with some friends of mine from church. And I told him, I was like, look, don't write a 20 page backstory. We're going to fill it in. Fill it in over time. Absolutely. Could not agree more. As someone who's run hundreds and hundreds of role playing games, let your character develop through the sessions. Don't write in too much backstory. But equally, don't make them a complete blank slate. Um, one of the most fun moments I ever had in a role-playing game as a player, uh, I was running. I was playing a long-running campaign uh, that, that a, a friend very kindly GM'd for me and one other. It was based in my era forbidden universe. And um, we basically rocked up to this settlement and, and, and we went inside and uh, I, we, we were meeting all these new people. And I just suddenly decided, oh, this guy, the armorer in the settlement, Nick! How you doing, mate? I haven't seen you in ages. Uh, we ran with it. Um, you know, we 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 decided that we had met him before at some point, um, and you know, we'd known him for for years, off and on, and we didn't know he was here and that sort of thing. And uh, in the end, he actually gave his life for my character, and it was a really brilliant moment because we we sort of had this imagined history that we'd all filled in in our heads about how we'd known each other before. And then I'm talking about 20 sessions later, he gave his life. Right. That's the fun thing. History, but also that, that, that stuff we'd built firmly within the sessions. That's the fun thing about doing it is this is like in one session, you drop this little seed and then like, you know, 20, 30 sessions later, all of a sudden, boom, whoa, wait, I totally forgot about that. Or what? No way. This guy did this for me. And it, it becomes this huge moment. It's one of the beautiful things about tabletop role-playing games that you just don't really replicate in any other medium. Um, it's it's the reason I do what I do in terms of storytelling with role-playing games. Obviously, with comics, I'm trying to do something else. I'm trying to I, I liken it to a house, right? Or a mansion, let's say. So a tabletop role-playing game lets you open the front door and walk inside. And in theory, you could visit every single room in that house, right? Um, Correct. In practice, you don't though. You 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 spread out a little on the foot on the on the on the ground floor, and then maybe you go up the stairs to the to the floor above, and you know you look around a little bit there, and maybe there's one more one more time up the stairs, but you wouldn't look around very far on that floor, and that's probably about as far as you ever get in the world, right? Yeah. But then a comic is like looking in a window of a specific room, and you get to see that moment in time of the universe that is a fixed thing that you could go and interact with if you want to, but you don't have to, right? You can experience a story in another way. And I suppose I do audio dramas as well. So I suppose that audio dramas is uh, sticking your head against the wall and listening to someone's argument next door. (laughs) That's actually a really cool way to put it. I really like how you put all of that because it's very, it is that's that's what it is being you know a writer and everything myself that's that's very much what it is uh there's there's some mobility there with the role-playing games that's different than a comic book that's different than an audio drama where like you know you you have control right yes exactly that's 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 the word that i wanted to use and people you know if with 
grace under pressure and you know era survival you can you know read the book and be like man i love this and if you want to dabble in an rpg boom there you go you already know this world you can have an idea of like maybe you want to tell your own story in it boom here you can do it or if you decide you really want to play the story of grace under pressure and see how your group does it you can do yes. that. you can you can go into that room and make that room your own if you want to but right. you can also sit back and enjoy a story that expands the universe and shows you what it's like to live in it which is you know, awesome in its own way as well, which, yeah, I mean, I never thought about it the way you put it uh, until you said it for the different things, because like I've started writing out some of my own, you know, like RPG stuff and have, you know, been working on several other comics that I want to put out there. And I never looked at it, like thought of it in that way. So that that's a really cool perspective. I, I'm really glad you like it. I, um, I sort of shape all of my creativity around that premise. So anything I'm doing, it's it's how how am I showing you something new that you haven't seen before? And that even extends to, I've done some audio dramas that were dramatizations of comics, but what they did is they gave you this extra dimension, this, you can do a lot with comics, you can do a lot with visual, but there's some stuff that you can't do and the immediacy and the speed and the feel, it's very hard to convey in a comic because people can always go back and read the previous panel again, or their eyes can get distracted or whatever. With an audio drama, you, you get to set the pace yourself. And the same is somewhat true of, of running a role-playing game. That's very true, because, you know, with an audio drama, you set the tone by how, you know, you talk, how sound effects go and everything else. It's, you know, if you're running through a forest, it's... And, you know, you're... Per- your person talking might be out of breath with, you know, a role-playing game. Oh, you want to go do a side quest that's not really going to develop anything, but you might get a little bit of money out of it or whatever. There's there's so many ways you can go about it, which is the fun part of storytelling. It is, and it's one of the reasons that I've spent 10 years learning how to tell stories of every kind. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not done. There are other media which I have not yet really figured out. And I'm, I'm going to be continuing. Uh, manga is a really good example of something that I just don't really understand all that well. But maybe, maybe I should be looking at that. Maybe I should be finding out what it is that manga does that Western comics don't do. Because there is stuff. I just don't understand it yet. Yeah. People would think that manga might be, like, from an outsider's perspective, that it would be, uh, you know, the same as comic books. But it's not. It's very different. It is. So tell us some of the names of your audio dramas that you've done. Sure. So um, we've done a number of audio dramas. Some of them are shorts, which are about 15, 20 minutes long. My computer's really playing up at the moment. Uh, Some of them are shorts, (laughs) which are um, uh, dramatizations of some of the comics, for the most part. Uh, We've got Lacuna Revelation. We've got Blue Shift, Frenemies, and Violet Unstoppable, which were our first three superhero comics. And we've got the Bug War 1 Declaration, Bug War 2 Infiltration, and Bug War 3 Mobilization, which were three of our sci-fi comics that we wrote for our sci-fi universe. I read Bug War real quick while my coffee was brewing this morning. Oh, wow. Like, just like skim read it. You enjoyed that. I'm going to go back and fully read it. That looks fantastic. Uh, Violet was actually the one that uh, made me decide, yep, I got to have this guy on my podcast. <laughs> Violet number two 
is Violet is my favorite character that I write. I write her with a, a wonderful lady called Jennifer Martin, who um, I actually wrote Era Survival with Jennifer. Uh, she did a lot of the stories. She's so good at this dark, scary tone. But Violet number two, we, we sat down and we agreed that we wanted to cover some stuff that you don't see very often in comics. We wanted to cover some stuff like, at the end of Violet number one, if you if you read it, you you know, obviously, Violet wins, but it's it's not without cost at the, you know, in the first half of the comic. And, and while she might win, and, and in a Spider-Man comic, you'd expect him to be fine the next comic. We really didn't want to do that. We wanted her to have the hangover psychological issues that come from being beaten and, 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 and scratched with an inch of your life. And we, we, we actually went to some fairly dark mental health places because Jennifer and I both believe that, that, you know, mental health is a thing that affects a lot of people. A lot of people are scared of talking about it. We, we agreed that, you know, we don't want to be scared of talking about it. We want to be able to say, you know what, these things happen and they're not good and they're hard to deal with and that's okay. So I, I was really proud of Violet number two. Um, and we've actually got three, four and five underway at the moment. It's going to be a three issue arc there where we, we look at Violet's parents some more and also what's actually going on behind Rampage and, um, and Teus, uh, who's the, the bad guy in the uh, in the second comic, but having a having a character like Violet, who's a role player, you know, she's a she's a cosplayer, she's a gamer, she's a someone who knows how to have fun and 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 enjoys being a superhero because it's it's one of those things that people dream of. You know, she's she can fly, she's nearly invulnerable, she's super strong. That's brilliant, right? Right. Cool, and yet. That doesn't mean it's easy. And it's not it's not those life troubles that they inflict on Spider-Man. And it's not just one super powerful enemy. It's the enemy is what's in your head when you lose. That's what I think. That's what I think superheroes are all about. They're the person who keeps getting back up and fighting when the enemy is saying there's no point. That's that's a great that's that's just awesome. I don't know how else to put it, but that is awesome. Uh, and I'm very much in the same boat that mental health is something that we need to talk about. Um, I've already got some plans for like suicide aware suicide awareness month. I don't know why all of a sudden I couldn't talk, but suicide awareness month. I'm planning out some special episodes for this podcast as well as my other podcasts, and I've written um, a book about like it's a like a biblical study on like dealing with depression and everything else because i do i i struggle with depression and anxiety and like trying to help other people i you know wrote a book called getting unstuck and yeah uh I, dude i totally get it and i think uh, that not doing fantastic. it that it's way so important that people who do experience depression anxiety uh, and various other mental health situations i think it's so important that that when you get out the other side from that thing, at least temporarily, you are willing to say, look, look, I, I, I know, and I might not be going through exactly the same thing as you, but I know what it feels like, and it can be okay, and you can still push on through the things that you dream about and, and wish for and, and want to do with your life. 
I, I think it's really important to do that. I I do too. Uh, and, you know, this, this is a cool thing about doing these kinds of things and, you know, being a writer and being creative. Two dudes never met each other, haven't really d- talked other than a couple of messages back and forth about s- setting up a podcast. And yet we've found common ground yeah. that we can, you know, talk about. Uh, the human condition is a common thing, right? It's a it's a common experience for everyone. And while it's not exactly the same, that there's a Venn diagram for everyone. And if you sit down, you listen to that person talk, and you you look for that common ground, you're going to find something where you go, right, we have the bonds of shared experience here. We can talk about this. We can love that, that fact that we are not alone. And I, I think all of storytelling fundamentally comes down to that. It's it's you are not alone. That that there are other people out there. And if you're a if you're a creator who's listening to this, whether you do music or whether you do writing or artwork or whatever it is you do, if you can create something that really speaks to you and you can find someone who it also speaks to, I think you will find a fulfillment that you would be very surprised at. I think so too. I've I mean, obviously, I love creating stuff myself. So, <laughs> uh, we are getting close to the end of this episode. Uh, we're gonna have to start winding it down, and I kind of hate that because it's been so much fun. So, we'll have to have you back at some point. Um, definitely go check out Grace Under Pressure. Comes out today. At, you know, that's why we dropped this episode as a special episode. And definitely go back, Eric Hyju as well. And check out all these other things from Shades of Vengeance. But we got you here. Uh, you know, typically a music podcast, and you've brought it. You know, music is creation and everything else. Uh, what's some of the music that you listen to? So I like symphonic rock and symphonic metal. Um, I'm actually a, 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 I'm a classically trained musician. Uh, I got quite good, but never quite good enough, if you know what I mean. Um, so I, I, I require something to be quite melodic and, and, and interesting, as well as harmonic and interesting. Um, but uh, I, I really like some of the European bands. Um, I was a big fan of Delane until they recently split up, which was really, really upsetting for me. Loved watching them on stage. Um, I like Within Temptation. I like, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I like Visions of Atlantis and uh, Nocturna I've recently come across who I, I really enjoy their music. Um, sort of all, all sort of bands like that. And what I'll often do is I'll find an album and I'll go, wow, uh, these eight tracks are fantastic. I'm not so keen on this ninth one. Um, and, and that's fair enough. You know, it's not everyone is for everyone. But uh, I've got to say that uh, if there's a, if there's a, a, a band which, for me, has now produced two albums where I like every single track. It's Visions of Atlantis. Really, really like their work. I've heard of them. I've never listened to them. So now, upon your recommendation, I'm going to. Definitely cause... worthwhile if you like a, a really strong theme. Because they, they do. They have these really strong themes to their work. As well as some some well-written lyrics, well thought out. Especially for, you know... I don't mean this super negatively, but as an English speaker, some of the European bands they struggle a bit with the lyrics. They're not they're not perfect. Um, Vision of Atlantis really does a really good job. 
That's interesting. Uh, and maybe I don't listen to enough European bands because, like, obviously I like some of the bigger ones that have been pushed here. And, like, a lot of it is, is I do things on my own discovery because I don't listen to regular radio. But, uh, like, but, yeah, I mean, time, your, your Night Wishes and your Epicas and, and so on, they're all... yeah. They're all good, and I like I like Nightwish. I've been seeing them in in, in concert. They're they're good. Um, they're not my favorite though, and and that's also absolutely fine. I can completely enjoy them, and then say, <clears throat> well, you know what, I like this better. And that's that's another great thing about you know all the different layers of art that we've discussed today. Yeah, one doesn't have to be your favorite. You can be like, yeah, that one was good. Like, you know, for an example, say you're listening to an audio drama. Man, that was great, but. I don't think I would go back and listen to it again, but there might be one, man, I loved that one. I want to go back and listen to it again. Or, ah, you know, this, you know, like you were talking about with D&D, it's not my favorite because of the way the dice system works, but I really like Eric Hydra. Yep. Uh, I, I absolutely. And I feel that way about my work as well. You know, if someone comes along and goes, you know what? Uh, I played D&D for three years. I tried era. You know, it's, it's not for me, right? I, I'm going to go back to d and I'm like, good on you, mate. That's cool. That's great. There's there's nothing wrong with that, and I'm never going to judge someone for preferring something else. That's that's fine, and I, and I think we are losing that a little bit in our society right now when it comes to creativity. We're a little bit too willing to say if you don't like my thing, you suck as a person. And it's yeah, like, like how well, could you? You know, it's it's if you don't like my thing, that's cool. Go find the thing you do like, please. Yeah, and thanks for trying it out. I'm glad you at least tried it. Yeah, exactly. And I, that's the problem, you see. I think I think the if you don't like it, you suck as a person means that people don't go and try other things. And that means that people are not exposed to the thing. I, I only came across Symphonic Rock uh, maybe 10 years ago. You know, I'm, I'm approaching 40 now. It took me that long to find the kind of music I really love. It's that's amazing because like I, you know, for me, like we had talked before we really started recording, I grew up Midwest here in the mm. United States where country music is a really big thing. And yeah, there was like some of it where I was like, man, this is great. And then it like the mainstream stuff started dwindling and wasn't really for me. So I, you know, backed away from it for a long time. That's whenever I found metal and that's where I had, you know, had that angsty teenager groove where like a lot of my stuff was formed and uh, just like really shaped a lot of like my love for music. But then like some guys started like popping up that was like old school country that was really, really good. Because like every once in a while I would, you know, put on Johnny Cash or something. Absolutely. I mean, and again, that's the other thing. Just because you don't like it every day doesn't mean you don't like it. Right. You know, Right, especially with any kind of creativity, you you might look at Eric Hydra and go, "Wow, you know, I want my main game to be D and D." But just once in a while, once in a while, I'd really like to try this out. Or you might look at at Grace Under Pressure and go, "You know what? Normally, I don't like zombie comics, but I kind of feel in the mood for one this time." You know, no, normally I read superhero comics or whatever, but but this time, you know what? I, I fancy a cracking zombie apocalypse comic. Right. I hate to like start winding it down, but we've only got a couple of minutes left before Spotify <laughs> kicks us off. So any parting words? Um, thank you for listening first. And, and thank you, Justin, for having me here. Uh, it's actually been so much fun. And uh, I really hope I can come back. Thank you so much.
Um, don't forget, uh, Era Kaiju is active now. Uh, it's well overfunded, so it's definitely going to happen. You will get your copy. Um, it's worth checking out if you would like to try being a Kaiju and stomping around, hopefully not stomping too many civilians. Um, Grace Under Pressure, uh, which I also came to talk about. Um, it's a comic. It's 22 pages. Uh, it's going to be launching on Kickstarter uh, on the day this releases. So go check that out. I'll make sure that Justin has the links to put in the show notes or whatever. Um, but yeah, overall, thank you everyone for listening. I, If you are creative, be creative, please. The world needs this so much right now with the way AI is taking over a lot of the, the creativity and, and pastiching things together. Be creative. Bring new ideas into the mix. Don't just remix old things. Do your take on something because your creativity matters just as much as mine or Justin's or anyone else's. Nothing beats the human condition. You brought up the word human condition earlier, but and that's been something that I've been saying because I actually thought about it whenever you said it earlier. Nothing beats the human condition. I didn't quite know what to respond to that. <laughs> I agree with it <laughs> well, 100%. I mean, right. Because it's true. AI can't replicate what we've experienced as humans. Uh, no, but it can pick up the stories that other people have told about the human condition and stick them together. And and it's getting better and better at sticking it together and making it look good. It is. But I still think, like, you just, being a person, you can't, you, you can't beat it. Even if you are a supercomputer, because that supercomputer will have never felt the things that you've gone through or the things that I've gone through. It can't add and things. So. It can't add things in a way that a person can. Exactly. Ed, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, man, I feel like we're rushing here at the end because <laughs> I, I feel like we could keep going, but we'll definitely have to have you on. Maybe my, we'll have a celebration again. for... Sorry. Thank you oh, so much I, for having me. No problem. Thank you. Uh, well, you know what? Let's. I'd like to have you on uh, as like a celebration for Grace Under Pressure being funded whenever it gets funded. I'd love to. And, and I'm sure I'll have something else to talk about then. In fact, I have an audio drama that is dropping... Around then. Perfect. Ed, thank you so much. We'll talk to you later, bud. Thank you.